Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Taylor Damble. Alongside me is The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barn Burner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Earl Barron subscribed, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Taylor Damel to find out where the feed is and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. And I guess you can follow Subi at Subi232 as well, as long as he comes back from his Grand Canyon trip uh, with her right mind. He told us he was going there to find himself. So we'll see how that turns out. But anyway, we're sponsored by Blue Note. Artfully crafted small batch bourbon distilled in Memphis and honoring the Memphis blues. Be noteworthy, Memphis. Shark, what's up, man? Not much. It's kind of weird to be doing this without the father right now. Uh, I'm happy he's finding himself out in the canyon. You know, he's. I'm. I'm. I'm envisioning a a good Johnny drama scene for him, where he's <laughs> screaming victory over the cavern beneath him for no reason because he, he has no victories going on. But still doing that. You know, I feel like I think we can both agree that Subi is the. Um, the point guard, the lead guard of this broadcast. But I think that we maybe are like the two combo guards that maybe can come in and run the show together in the times where our lead guard has to sit down or, you know, maybe he's in foul trouble. Maybe he's away due to a family function. I think that, I think that could be maybe best uh, describe us at this point right now. Yeah. I'm running off of just, weak Marriott internet in deep Minneapolis. So to the extent that this is supposed to be a tryout for us to uh, take over the show from Sue, I think he might be up to something and making sure that I, I register about 35% of what you say. Uh, so I apologize in advance to the people listening to this show. But um, if I repeat anything that uh, Taylor said, then you know, go fuck yourself. Have you gotten a longer email before than what Subi sent us in in terms of how to run this show without him? Yeah, for uh, probably Jesus Christ, fifteen to twenty years at this point, <laughs> I've never seen him put that much effort into anything. Um, then, how to arrange for this this show to proceed? I mean, I've lived with the guy, and I'm 100% sure he put less effort into even, like, moving or finding a new place to live or any of that than he did into just telling us how to press play on this broadcast. But thorough, I, I love it. <laughs> At least he's a thorough guy. Before we get off the Subi topic, one more thing. We've both known the guy for a long time. You've known him for much longer than I have. What's, let's, one to ten, what are his outdoor skills? like rating between one, one is like grew up in the city, never went outside. 10 is like Grizzly Adams. Who, um, 
That's a good one. I can't recall a moment he's ever slept outside and out in the field. <laughs> and, you know, he's out in the field right now. So, he, gosh, I know that that man, if he values one thing in this world, it's comfort. Um, so he's going to find a way to make himself comfortable with probably a bevy of blankets, but he, he's not built for the field and he's going out there right now. So, you know, did he bring a couch with him pack it in a couch on his back? No, he's definitely got like a snuggie of some sort. If anything, a backup snuggie, that guy loves a good blanket. Best part is too, is we just had a major, it's been perfect weather in Arizona up until literally today. And we just had a major weather front come through with a ton of rain, thunder, probably snow up there in the Grand Canyon. He might be dead. Honestly, the next podcast, we might be a, it might be an in memoriam type of podcast for Super. No, that's not good. When you, when you add those elements to it, then, you know, he's going to be struggling a little bit (laughs) because the mental toughness level, that's always been an issue with, uh, with Subi there. When it, when, it, when it comes to this kind of, kind of thing. Right. Sure. Sure. Gotcha. All right. So let's dive into some basketball. Last time we were on the podcast, we previewed uh, one of the biggest games of the college basketball season thus far, and that was Michigan State and Seton Hall. Seton Hall came away with the win or with the loss. Excuse me. Michigan State came away with the win uh, despite Miles Powell's 37 points in a game that he wasn't even expected to play in until like an hour before the game i thought miles powell's injury was like weeks long and i think that's what we'd all talked about and then all of a sudden miles powell is warming up and scores 37 points and almost outduels cassius win well he did kind of outduel cassius winston but did that tell you more we discussed this previously to the game itself but did that end up telling you more about michigan state or did it tell you more about seton hall uh so first of all i would say you know kevin willard really playing his cards close to his chest. That, that's on the eve of, um, what was it, the Detroit Lions, the, when Matthew Stafford had like yeah. seven broken bones in his back and like they just right. kept him practicing all week. And like you're, you're, the whole point of like injury reports, and I know it's not really uh, a, a thing at the college level, but the whole point of that is to make sure that there's some transparency and you're not forcing the athletes to get out there and play. Granted, uh, it seems like that whatever high ankle sprain that Miles Powell supposedly had, it wasn't really affecting him too much because he was the best player on the court, uh, no doubt about that. And he he demonstrated how this Seton Hall team can play with anyone. Now they lost, and um, you know you you and Subi were chirping me in our group text on Friday night uh, about that loss. But I mean, what do you expect? The, if anything, that means more to Seton Hall than anything else. They, they know that they can play with the preseason number one ranked team in the country when they're at full strength. And they weren't even at full strength because Miles Powell, whether you want to call it a high ankle sprint or not, he, he, he was not at an optimum level, yet he dropped 37 or whatever, whatever it was. So I love Seton Hall. I love I, I went and tweeted it. I made sure I tweeted this, even while Miles Powell was hurt. I did this. I had that tweet. It's on the record. Nobody can come at me now once this people start getting on the bandwagon. This is a Final Four team. I mean, I'd like them to have Miles Powell to get there, but I just love the character and the toughness of this team. So I think I, I would say it told us more about Seton Hall, but I might be – and I was high on Seton Hall too. I picked them to win the Big East and Miles Powell to win – player or no i i believe i picked marcus howard to win the player of the year in the biggest but i mean you it's kind of splitting hairs miles palace easily uh you know potential all-american and nobody would deny that but i think it tells us a lot about seton hall in the sense that how reliant they are upon miles powell because down the stretch there as as well as miles powell had played and who knows how much the injury had affected him Dude was clearly gassed at the end of the game. And the last three or four possessions were literally just Miles Powell dribbling down the court and yeah, going to shoot a contested three. And I don't know if that's going to be how it continues to go. And they're not going to play a team to the caliber of that Michigan State is, you would imagine, until like the Elite Eight or even the Final Four. But that might be the problem is, is if Miles – if with the upper echelon teams that they might play when it comes to the tournament or even when they play Oregon this week. So that'll be another, or next week, that'll be another telling one. Is Miles Powell going to have to score 37 points a game to, for them to even be in the game when they're playing the real 
I don't want to say the upper echelon teams, but say the top 15 teams in the country. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing in college basketball and uh, identifying which teams are going to be able to be successful at the end of the year is how they perform in close games against good defenses. And it doesn't, it's a long way of me saying it doesn't necessarily matter what happens in the first, you know, 38 minutes of a game. If that game is close enough and you're getting a maximum effort from a great defensive team, can you score when you need to be able to score? And if anything, that Seton Hall game demonstrated that they can. Now, granted, it's all because it's Miles, it's Miles Powell, but they can do it. So they, 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 I forget the exact sequence at the end of the game, but Powell and Kevin Willard was screaming like a maniac on the sidelines to get some fouls called. And he had a good argument on one of them, the, second, the final one for Powell. I don't know it's so much, but you need to be able to execute against teams that are going to be giving you the best foot forward on defense. And I think Seton Hall's there. It's just a matter of getting them, getting that path and making sure that they can put themselves in position. Cause they're going to play defense. Uh, no doubt about it. But if I think if they can end up on a four seed line, um, they, they have a good shot. I think they're to end up on the four seed line. And I, I won't disagree with you and where, if, if, you know, and that's potentially where they're headed. They've got two games coming up in the next less than a month, three weeks that are going to, uh, yeah, a month, let's call it, that are going to determine whether they're going to be able to, you know, be a top four seed or maybe be stuck on that four seed line. They have Oregon, they have Maryland in on uh, December 19th. Those two games yeah, and that, are I mean, probably that's, the big that's, deciders of where no, they're but I mean, that's why, that's why I like teams like them in Oregon, because they schedule these games. Oh, no, they, 100%. 100%. They, they put themselves out there to be tested early on so that they can execute when it matters at the end of the year. I mean, in the alternative, you can play the cookie-cutter schedules and just rack up brackets, treat you right, uh, when he starts doing his bracketology. But I think they're really, especially for teams that haven't kind of burst through and gotten to that Final Four level yet, this is the, this is the way to do it. This is the way to test yourself. And so other teams like Memphis, to their credit, they're doing that as well. Uh, I hate on Memphis a lot, but they do that. This is what the good teams should be doing. So wh whatever happens in those games against Maryland or against Oregon, whatever, it doesn't necessarily matter unless they're getting boat raced and they look like they don't belong on the court with the other team, which I don't expect to happen. Sure. And I think that we can say the same thing. I mean, we can say the same thing about Michigan and or Michigan state and Izzo every year, you know, their schedule is always brutal and they always drop a couple of these games like they did in the first game of the year against Kentucky. But there's a legitimate argument for them to still be the number one team in the country, despite the fact Kentucky's loss doesn't look awesome now. But going on the road to a team like Seton Hall is as big of a win so far as there maybe has been in college basketball. I know we're still really early, but going on the road and beating a team that has that potential like Seton Hall does and maybe the best player in the country in Miles Powell. You know, in Vegas, Miles Powell is only like the sixth highest favored uh player to win national player of the year really you went down when you're out there down to the book and see who they had for the uh yeah it's kind of crazy player of the year right there yeah right so it's it's i would think he'd be higher than that because i think no, he's, so would i i mean yeah i would okay. uh that would be a ticket i'd be interested in I who do they I have as who do they have as one i still as cassius winston as one okay um they, i believe they have your boy uh Nawara ahead of uh miles powell as well i know that's your guy yeah. so <laughs> I don't know. I, big, big, Louis, big Louisville guy you are, I know. So. Yeah, true. So speaking of one of Louisville's rivals, another issue that one of the major teams in the country is having is Kentucky. Kentucky, as we know, lost to Evansville last week. They got taken down to the wire by Utah Valley last night and still not looking good. Is this a – is this – just Calipari's kids being kids, or is this kind of a real problem they're going to have? Because in my opinion, I think this is a real issue. I, you know, we, we talk about how early in the season it is and how some of these games do and don't matter and what do they matter when it comes to tournament and there's still a long way to go and all of that. But if you're losing to Evansville and barely beating Utah Valley at home, I, I mean, I don't care what point of the season it is. That's got to show us something, and I don't know if that's a, a, is that a talent thing or is it a – continuity of the yeah, team I, or I, I mean I, I think I, it's a I think it's an issue for Kentucky um 
you should not be playing games this close to opponents that inferior. And I think the issue is because they don't have a guy. Um, they don't have a guy that he, I know that you really, you know, busted your load on night one with Maxi there. Yeah, that's um, all over. I already, kicked, yeah. I already kicked him you out know. of bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, once that load comes out, you can't really put it back in. But you know, they're, I think they're trying to make Hagen's the guy, and he just can't score other than bullying his way to the free throw line. And then Richards last night, you know, he's at least uh, emerging as a front court presence, which is what they needed. Uh, and we'll see if he has the um, the fortitude to make that leap forward for them. But I, I, I don't like their team. Just. There's something about them. I, I, this is kind of uncharacteristic of Cal coach teams. They, they do this once they're playing a good team. They don't do this when they're playing a horrible team. So I think the, he, he should be concerned. And I don't know, who's their, who's their next big test? Um, that's what I was just looking right now. Um, nothing obvious. Let me see what tournament they're playing in. You know, they have teams like Mount St. Mary's and things like that coming up. Uh, they do have Ohio State on the schedule. They do have Louisville on the schedule as well. Uh, so they, they'll get some tests in there. But I don't – I mean, there was a reason why – and this goes to my point, even though I'm already ready to pull the point back, is why I picked Florida to win the SEC. I wish I could retract that statement. But it was more of to the point that I think Kentucky was going to drop some games in conference, much like the ones that they dropped to – to Evansville, but I thought it would be to like, you know, a in Alabama or a Georgia or a Auburn or whatever, like an actual big power six school, not a Utah Valley and an Evansville. And so I think that, you know, in the, in the last couple of years or maybe all of Calipari's years, we've seen them play close games in, in to some inferior point opponents from time to time. But the talent in the last four minutes, just like 99% of the time in college basketball, the talent just pulls through in the last four minutes and they say, they kind of go, oh shit, yeah, we got to go. And they flip it on in the last four minutes and go on like a 16 to four run and win it. They don't have the the ability to, they don't have the ability to do that with this team at this point. Yeah. I just don't know if they, they have that at this point. Um, What, most of their recruiting class was no consensus, you know, lottery pick that they had. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's there. No, and I would agree with that. And I, at this point, it's not surprising to me if they will continue these struggles through the rest of the season, also into conference play, where they're going to have to play perhaps the new best team in the SEC, your Tennessee Volunteers. I want to give you the floor to wax poetically about perhaps the best team in the SEC hailing from Knoxville. You know, full disclosure, I I sent a text uh, while Tennessee was playing Murray State, and I said I was trying to get ahead of the story. Uh, I was trying to say that Tennessee is not going to be very good this year. Uh, I I told that to a, a few individuals close in my life I told them that and then they Tennessee went on to win by like 30 in that second half and then they go on the road and and that is a road game against Washington let's call it what it is and they just beat the shit out of them so do I think they're the best team in the SEC right now honestly no I still don't I I think that they are playing with a chip on their shoulder right now but I'm very concerned about how sustainable this is they really, in the game against Washington, they only had their starters scored like every single point except for one point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, do they have Jordan Bowden, who's really taken a leap this year. Lamonte Turner really hasn't gotten hot yet, but he's been distributing the ball great. Both those guys actually are probably going to enter the 1,000-point club, which is awesome on Wednesday night for their game. But I, the, Tennessee still lacks a front-court presence. You can only have John Fulkerson do what he has to do for so long. And he's got a horrible, horrible long hair with one of those. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what you call them. They're not, it's not a ponytail, but it's like a hair. Uh, it's like what you'd see on a high school field hockey team. All the girls wearing those. Um, like a man bun? Is that what you're getting? No, it's not a man bun. It's like a, it's, it's not a man bun. And it's like, the, I don't know, it's a bad look. You just look them up. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah, it's not a good look. But anyways, so that's our starting center. 
the real big surprise for us is Eve Ponce, who's just a freak athlete. And we, he's kind of making that uh, next step jump for us. And the, the, uh, the star freshman, the five-star freshman, Josiah James, not that good so far. Uh, so hopefully he comes into his own. But I, it's a long way of me saying I don't think that they are uh, there yet. I, I, would, I, I think LSU is a better team. I think Auburn's a better team. And I don't think Kentucky's a better team. Well, so you are our resident SEC guy here. So I guess elaborate on that if you can. At this point, the SEC is a complete mess of what we thought it would be, even though we're only like three, four games in the season. Florida sucks. And I thought last week that Florida shouldn't even be ranked. And I believe that my uh, opinion was backed up by the fact that they lost again to an unranked UConn team who... I mean, I don't think UConn's any good either. So Florida sucks, and I picked them to win that conference. Most people picked Kentucky to win that conference. Would you say, I don't know what the odds would be, but is it still those teams, two teams in the field, or do we feel that that gap, even if it's just after three or four games, is really much closer than it was two weeks ago? I think it's closer. I don't think Florida sucks just yet. I know that they've stumbled out of the gate here, but they're still going to be the same Florida team that we've seen in recent years. Um, I saw the game, the, obviously the game against I mean, UConn. they could be, they could literally be one in three right now. I just want to put, they almost lost to Towson at home too. Yeah. You know, they, they could, and you were to your credit, you were on it after that first game when you kept talking about how they didn't beat North Florida by much. Um, I'll give you credit to that, but I don't think, I don't think they suck just yet. I, I think it, it, it's going to take some time, but they'll be in the tournament when it matters, but I don't think they're going to win the, they still could win the SEC. These teams can get hot and Florida typically gets hot at the end of the year. Uh, if you recall, they, they always outside of their, those years in the late two thousands with Noah and Corey Brewer and Torian green and Lee Humphrey and all those guys, they outside of that, the teams that make the tournament, they always have like 12 to 13 losses. Um, but they get in and they make sweet 16 or an elite eight run. So I think it's premature to count them out of it at this point, especially considering the talents they have on their team. Um, to more correctly answer your question, I, definitely the gap has shrunk. I think Auburn has proven to be a very dangerous team. They, they, they start a lot of, it's kind of plug and play with Bruce Pearl. It's just next man up for them. Uh, it's still going to be an explosive offense, still going to be high octane, um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're doing what they've done in the recent years. LSU, I don't know. Like, I was getting chirped at for this one, too. Like, they, they go and play in an extremely emotional game in Richmond against VCU where you got students in the crowd dressed as FBI agents to get in Will Wade's head. That was phenomenal, by the way. Yeah, that was, was phenomenal. I mean, that, that, that's how you'd be a fan right there. But, and they're getting killed in the first half. And then LSU comes storming back. Like, I I know they lost the game, but to say, oh, my God, the SEC is terrible after that. Like, get a, get a fucking grip, man. Get a grip. <laughs> do, you actually, do you think that that makes them a bad team? Do you think if LSU were to play VCU in, let's call it, Spokane, Washington, at the Friday 4 p.m. game, do you think that VCU is going to win that one? There's no chance in hell. So let's look at this through the correct lens here and – rather than having these reactionary takes, which, you know, our boy Subi loves to do. Well, I, I, I will say, in a counter-argument, if, if you say that the top three teams in the conference going into the season were Florida, Kentucky, and arguably LSU, right? We can mix Auburn in there, too. Auburn almost lost to South Alabama. They, only, they, they only won by a point. And then Florida's lost twice. Kentucky's lost to Evansville, and LSU has lost yeah, to VCU. No, like, Shouldn't these teams be? I mean, I know VCU's like decent, but shouldn't these teams, if they're a good Power Five team, because I was really high on the SEC in the preseason. I thought they were going to show a market improvement over what we see from maybe the average year of like maybe four to six teams. Obviously, they had a good year last year, but I thought the bottom was going to come up. And in reality, I think I was wrong. I think the top came down, although my prediction might still reign true at the end of the year. I think it might be because the winner of this conference, who I may have thought was going to be something like 15 and three, might be more like 13 and five, which will allow some of those lower level teams 
to pick up a couple extra wins against like a Florida or a Kentucky or even an LSU and an Auburn. So I, I was definitely higher on the, the whole conference and was expecting to have more conversations about how well the SEC started and not how badly. I don't know if that's the word you want to use, but maybe how no, but the, disappointing. I don't know. It's been thus far, I guess. It, this this whole almost lost thing is it, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, okay. Kansas, South Alabama. Kansas, South okay. Alabama. Kansas is playing East Tennessee State right now. They're up by 12. Did they almost lose that game? I mean, uh, UVA almost lost to Vermont tonight. I mean, we can do this to anyone. Catamounts. So t- Catamounts, tough team. Tough team. Yeah, but, like, come on. You know, look at the team for a spec- Look at the team and what they have and envision how they would perform against other good teams. That's that's the way to do it. It's not judge them because they didn't score enough points against, you know, <laughs> insert terrible score here. <laughs> But is it how we judge teams like with the points on the board? No, this, is, this isn't college football. This is this is you, <laughs> you you play, and if you beat a good team, then you move up. Unless unless uh, you're Dick Vitale or what that other guy, Stephen Means, and we'll, we'll get to that later in the show. But typically, when you beat a team, you should move above that team. But some of these poll uh, college basketball writers just uh, seem to ignore the results of games. But what? oh, I can't I can't wait to get to to dive into that here in a minute. But so let's get out of the SEC for a second then. And I know that you're in chilly Minneapolis right now and have been for a couple of days. What is the weather yeah. like in Minneapolis right now? It sucks. Like I, it's the same. You wait. The, there's daylight. And I say daylight with a grain of salt because it's not daylight. It's just a gray sky for about six hours during the day. It, these people that live here, that's just dark in perpetuity. It's always dark, dark in perpetuity. Cold. It's like, I don't know how you do it, but hey, you're from Alaska. You're probably used to that. Well, yeah, that's why I live in. That's why today was the coldest day I've sustained in nine months. And it was 76 degrees today. There's yeah, a reason well, why I moved out of there. Good move. By the way, uh, Maryland's only up by eight over Fairfield. Yeah, game. they we suck. Actually... Move them down. Hold on, I'm not done. Gonzaga's only up by one against UT Austin at halftime, so they suck. But we should bump them down. And Kansas is only up by ten against Etsu with ten minutes uh, with uh, fifty-one seconds left. So, oh man, who who are we going to rank next week? I would agree with all of those sentiments. Move them all down. So, well, that gets me into what my question would be to you and what I was getting at. Has there any? Has there been a team? So far, and I know we kind of talk about this every week and not necessarily like in a direct question, but has there been any team so far that has really struck you as, oh, wow, this team is way better than I anticipated, at least through the first three or four? I know this is, I know we're still in the part of the season where we're really Monday morning quarterbacking this whole thing, but that's really all we have to go off of to this point until we get into feast week next week where we get some big games again. You know, there's really not a lot of tests on the schedule between today and kind of that Thanksgiving area where all the big tournaments happen. In fact, no ranked teams at this point even play on, I believe, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday leading into all the tournaments next week. So you might have a decent line of demarcation here, even though it's only the first 10% of the season is, are there any teams that you can point to that are maybe a little better than you anticipated so far? Yeah, Ohio State. Ohio yeah. State's agreed for me. Agreed. Um, we, all you have to do is watch them to, to kind of button up exactly what we're talking about. You saw them play against Villanova and just run them out of their own gym. And th- th- this Ohio State team, it kind of goes back to what they had last year. I, I recall that in the first round of the tournament, they had they were matched up with Houston, uh, if I recall correctly. And in that game, you know, Caleb Wesson was their guy. He's this. If you don't know who he is, he's this mm-hmm. big, fat, undersized, perfect college basketball player. Um, he's chubby. He's, he's a big old boy. <laughs> he's got post moves. He'll remind you of Jared Sollinger out there with a little sip of Dewan Blair. You know, he's got he, he can shoot the ball a little bit as well. He he's the guy that runs through for them. But they have this other dude, Kyle Young, who's kind of just playing for a cup of coffee the previous few years, but he's really emerged this season. And they got a great coach. All right, they got they got everything you want. They got Chris Holtman, um, <laughs> one of those Chris Mack type guys. You can coach <laughs> just and name them all, Chris. Yeah, yeah right. just just a guy named Chris from the Midwest. Those are the kind of coaches you want. But Ohio State's everything. They they are an under the radar team, and I brought up the 
the game against Houston last year because in that game, Houston, they had so many wins during the season. Everybody loved them. Everybody loved Kelvin Sampson. But in that 6-11 matchup, the spread was, like, shockingly close. It, mm-hmm. I, I recall it being less than five. And all the sharp betters in Vegas were all on Ohio State. I remember thinking, like, why? Ohio State had the, so many losses during the regular season. Uh, they were only good playing at home. And then I watched the game, and you could tell that they were athletic. You could tell that the only guy with any skill on the team was Weston. But the way they played, they played very fast. They played very intense, and that's really starting to trend season. So I could see them being a big-time threat moving forward, especially in a Big Ten that sucks this year. No, and I, I that is one of my teams that I would agree, I think, easily is pointed to as a team that's better, or not better, but uh, already accomplishing a little more than we had anticipated. I mean, they smoked Nova the other night, just crushed them. And, you know, you look at Michigan State, has a loss already, albeit to Kentucky, but as we just discussed, maybe Kentucky isn't as good as we anticipated. Uh, Maryland, we were kind of up and down with about how we felt about them in the Big Ten. I, uh, so, yeah, I think Ohio State should be right there. And uh, my Purdue pick, actually Purdue for me, is probably the team that has performed the worst uh, when it comes to the expectations so far, because I picked them as my sleeper pick to win the conference and they've lost twice. But if I had to pick, and I want you to please tell me if I'm being a homer when I say this, but I really think Oregon especially, but Arizona are the two teams so far that are really outperforming their preseason rank. Arizona has looked, and Oregon in the same ilk, have looked every bit as good as any team in the country thus far. And you know, Oregon obviously has a name win against Memphis. Arizona doesn't have a name win necessarily quite yet. But they've, when we talk about the close loss thing, they've blown everybody out, including a team that Subi was high on in Illinois with Brad Underwood. They took them to, to school in the second half. And I think we have a guy, or Arizona has a guy named Zeke Naji. He was a four-star recruit that's our uh, center there. He's 33 of 39 from the field this year. That's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty that good. Is, that is pretty good. And uh, I'm going to warn you right now, stay off my, stay away from Oregon. All right. That's my team. Oh, Hey, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. I don't, I, I don't, I, don't I, I have a West coast school. I don't need another good. one. Don't I, worry. I don't want you Subi, anyone that you know, anyone that you associate with hopping on that bandwagon, because much like I did with Seton Hall in my tweet, I did the same exact tweet with Oregon before that game against Memphis. You guys can go check the books. You can go check the <laughs> ledgers. I put it out there. I've been on Oregon from the outset, and now you got people saying that they're the best team in the country. So here's a, I mean, here's a question for you, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think before this season we would have anticipated the SEC being a little better than the Pac-12. I think right now Pac-12 is far and away better than the SEC right now, at least how they opened up the season. You have teams like Oregon and Arizona who clearly look awesome. And then the top of the SEC does not look awesome at all. I think that if, you know, the usual power rankings of college basketball start with the ACC and the Big Ten up top, and then usually the SEC and the Pac-12 come in around that four or five range, I definitely think the Pac-12 has started off much stronger, much, much stronger with two potential Elite Eight, Final Four speculation type of teams, whereas I think the SEC, I, I think any speculation of any of their teams going far in the tournament has fallen way back in comparison. Yeah, I don't know. I think hold your horses a bit here. You got teams like Cal undefeated. Weren't didn't they win like six games last year? I know they got a new coach, but Cal sucks. And they're well, yeah, them. right. But I mean, yeah, you guys don't have a lot of losses in the conference. Congratulations! It's November seventeenth. You guys are really killing it so far. Hey, but, you're the you're the guy pushing for for final four picks already at this part of the year. So oh, those, yeah, the, so if you want it here, let's let's get after it. Then you know, those, hey, this conference is looking fucking awesome. So they're going, Oregon, they're all going to the final four. Or every team awesome. in the Pac-12 is going to the final four this year. Or is looking awesome. Yeah, that was a great pick by me, and I'm going to stand by that pick for a while. <laughs> I I will tell you, I, I I told you guys this at the beginning of the year. Watched Arizona play yet? Um, but I kind of like what you got. I told you I'm a Nico Mannion guy solely based oh, on. He's looked so he's looked every bit of 
and more of what was expected of him uh, previous to the year. He's like Dante DiVincenzo, you know, getting uh, like a severe European makeover. <laughs> well, Nico, Nico is Italian. I, I didn't know that there were ginger Italians. That's actually new to no, me. No, I was tr- trust me, they exist. They okay, exist. okay. This, you know, um, I learned I learned something new every day, and that's one thing I learned about Nico here this off season is that yeah. there are gingers in yeah. Italy. There, there are ginger gingers in Mexico too. Canelo Alvarez, <laughs> yeah, right. Like light, light skin, he's light skin and ginger. He's hey, like the, he's Mexico's Blake Griffin. You, you can't judge peace people based off uh, the geography of where they're from. Like for instance, <laughs> that Zeke Nanji guy that you just listed. He's, he's from Minnesota. He's from right next door to where you're at right now. Yeah, I might run out see if I can uh, see any of his buddies out here. Hey, and there he's uh, from a similar. I don't think he went to the same high school, but uh, I know that I think there were maybe rival high schools of the Jones, the Duke Jones brothers. They're in uh, oh. a- Apple something Minnesota. Zeke Nanji's hometown is Lakeville, Minnesota. Real, yeah. real creative with that name, right there. <laughs> I so think like, there's ten there's ten thousand lakes in this state, and they named their town Lakeville. Lakeville. I have a feeling the white man named that town. Mm. I don't think that's a native uh, language. That Lakeville, Minnesota. So I'm going to ride just because I am a West Coast guy, but I, I I actually don't think that this is a biased take. As I back up into the camera and show my Arizona shirt that I am wearing right now. I actually do think that Oregon, Ohio State, and Arizona are the three teams thus far this year that have really shown us the most that they were ranked in the late teens and 20s. And despite the fact that it's early, they have shown every single bit and more of what of, of outperforming, I should say, their expectations at least this early. Obviously, a lot of ways to go, a lot of things to that can transpire in this time. But what's really nice about um, say like in Arizona, for example, or in, or in Oregon, it's kind of actually a better example of this is, is Oregon's clearly going to get better because they're missing arguably their best player still, or at least the top three player in Fale Dante. So there's you know, the fact that they look this good early and they still have a huge presence down low that they're going to get back really leads me to believe that this Pac-12 race is going to be Someone's going to have to win like 15 games to win this conference because the top end, you can say, say what you want about Cal or whatever, but the top end is clearly really good. And even though Washington lost to Tennessee, they still have a nice win over Baylor. So I think they're kind of sticking with the script of that. They have a lot to figure out because they have a lot of freshmen. And I think that's kind of what everybody thought about the year that they were going to have ahead. But they're still an impressive team, and they're still a talented team. So clearly that race for the Pac-12 is was going to be uh, a tightly contested race. But I think now we're seeing that it's really going to be maybe even maybe even tighter than anticipated. But I, I, I'm, I'm happy that you're riding with a West Coast school because I have major bones to pick about college basketball writers and East Coast bias and how that affects west coast basketball and i know you have a lot on your mind about the ap poll and how it's voted on i want you to really get a lot off your chest here shark yeah well it's actually the inverse of what or the opposite of what you just said it's west coast bias Tennessee oh please play what the played. one one vote ever that had one west coast bias situation well, it ever the, it was the one it was the one that i happened to catch so that's how i'm gonna take it but <laughs> tennessee played washington all right so i'm, I'm this is all courtesy of Gary Parrish, big Memphis guy. I know you got the spreadsheet up there, Taylor, that you'll be able to uh, elaborate on my points here. But Tennessee played Washington on, what was it, Saturday, right? They play Washington on Saturday. They go out there. They beat them from start to finish, going away, however you want to describe it. The poll, Tennessee was unranked at the time. Washington was ranked number 20. The polls come out on Monday, and Gary Parrish – to his credit, he's been doing this for a while where he has this column on CBS Sports, poll attacks, where he just it's basically the watchdog of these voters and the AP poll and just calls them out whenever he can. And one guy, I believe his ma- name is Stephen Means. I want to make sure it's Stephen. I don't want to defame anyone. 
Um, but this guy means he's a beat writer for Ohio State. He, despite the fact that Tennessee beat Washington, he decided to still rank, not only not reflect that in his rankings, but he moved Washington up. Uh, and he didn't even include Tennessee in the top 25. So, you know, you know, our boy Meansy over there is really paying attention to what's going on. But in an epic, and I mean truly epic uh, display of uh, FOMO right here for Subi, Dickie V. I'm, normally, I'm defending Dickie V all the time. And we all know that Subi hates Dickie V. Dickie as, V did the as exact do I. same thing. Oh, you can hate Dickie V. I, I love Dickie V. I love everything that he's about. But he did the exact same thing. But to Dickie B's credit, he moved Tennessee into the top 25. So he wasn't as outrageous as our boy means in Ohio State. But Dickie B still put Washington ahead of Tennessee, despite the fact that this was played on a neutral court in the Pacific Northwest, and Tennessee won from start to finish. So these guys, maybe they're very uh, subjective in their look. They don't care about the actual games that are being played. But it just goes to show what a farce this whole system is. And it is important, too. Like, this is a big deal, whether we I – I know I'm making light of it right now, and I know people can make light of it throughout the season. But we all know that once we get into late February and into early March and we are doing bracket projections and you are looking at wins against top 25 teams and you're looking at RPI rankings and all that, this is significant for people on the selection committee. They care about how many wins against top 25 teams that you have. So Washington remaining in the top 25 or Tennessee not being moved up as high as they should, it might not impact them directly, but it could impact other teams. So these people that are given the the esteem of being a voter in the top 25, they need to take it seriously. Um, I mean, come on, Stephen Means. So I have Means poll right in front of me. One of the, you and I were talking before the show about this, but uh, if any of our listeners want some really interesting reading material where they're bo- bored at work, go to collegepolltracker.com and they, you can see where everybody that voted on the AP poll uh, put all the teams. They provide a list. They provide uh, biases against that writers clearly show um, when they vote teams on one side or the other against the the average or the mean. Another thing that mean means did here is he put Memphis ahead of Oregon the same week that Oregon beat Memphis. Dickie V moved Washington up six spots after their loss. Like, come on. So a guy like Dickie V is, and is let, let me tell you how much I dislike this guy, but he's a classic example. He's just such a bandwagoner for whatever. It's like he gets a fleeting thought and he bandwagons his own mind into doing that. The other night, he actually said a positive word about the Pac-12, which is the first time in at least 25 years that he's done that. So the fact that in his mind he said that, he now is just riding with everything about the Pac-12. He was the highest Arizona voter this week, too, had Arizona up to nine, which isn't necessarily absurd because they're undefeated and whatever. But not moving the teams that lose down is ridiculous. and. That's a classic problem that we see out here out west. Is, and it might be working, I guess. Maybe it's going to work in the Pac-12's favor for the first time ever. Is Maybe there will for finally be some uh, notion that the Pac-12 is good. And so instead of going the opposite way, which is usual, and saying the Pac-12 is bad, so the writers just kind of go, oh, well, let's move all these teams in front of Pac-12 people. Maybe we'll see this year that there's the... the uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The narrative that the Pac-12 is good. And so we get the Dickie Vs in the world to move teams up in losses. This is a classic SEC situation in football where Washington suffered a good loss and moved up in the standings. But the overarching point is how what about what you're saying is it's exactly why I don't put any credence into the coaches poll because the coaches don't actually vote. It's like some intern that pretty much puts it together because I'm pretty sure coach K isn't sitting there for an hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday afternoon, stressing over if he's going to pick Oregon or Memphis for the top 10 spot. 
right? Like I would want my basketball coach fired probably if he was putting that much time into a, a coach's poll that doesn't matter. But the AP poll, this is their only job. Their only job is to report on college basketball. And so I don't understand how there can be such monster variances when it comes to how these people vote. You know, we have we have a team in here like Utah State. Some people have them at 11 and some people have them not ranked. Well, how many of the writers do you think have even watched a Utah State game this year? I'm going to guess five. My yeah, too high or too low? Am I too high or too low with that? You're probably right, and they're going to keep winning games, so they're going to keep moving up the rankings because they're not going to play anymore. But I, it's my point is, that, and I think we're saying the same thing here. It's no, we are. We are. Yeah, yeah, we are. It's, college football, like there, there would be a mutiny if the correct four teams didn't make the playoff at the end of the year. College basketball, so much is built off of big wins, right? If you don't have the big win, if you are, let's pick a run-of-the-mill team that will probably be probably be on the bubble this year. Let's call it um, – uh, let's go with, like, Arkansas. All right, if Arkansas doesn't beat a team in the top 25 this year and they go 20-11, and 11, they're not going to make the tournament. If NC State goes 21-10 and 10 and they don't have a win over a top 25 team, they're not going to make the tournament. But – if Arkansas were to beat Tennessee later in the year and Tennessee was ranked at X points whenever it happened, like then this means something. So you can't just you can't just throw in the towel. Like I feel like when I'm talking about this stuff, I I listen to the Mike Lombardi's podcast on the GM shuffle, and all he ever does, literally all this guy does on this podcast is just say the same things over and over again. <laughs> He'll say Mitch Trubisky's terrible. He'll Agreed. say that the, the Patriots have a great culture. He'll say he'll say that offensive lines, bad offensive lines don't travel well. And then he'll just, when he's outraged by something, he'll just go, seriously, seriously, oh, seriously. And he just says, seriously, like 17 times in a row, this will be my Mike Lombardi stance. And then I'll throw in some like junior soprano quotes or Ralphie Cifaretto quotes when I have to, but I could be Lombardi on this topic right here. You have to take the ranking seriously, seriously. I, I mean, I loud against this and have been forever. I And I, I even on this show last week or over the last c- couple of weeks, I've been saying how worthless like the preseason polls are especially and how that affects everything we have going on. I mean, Florida is out here still in half of the people's top 25 bracket or top well, 25. Kentucky, bracket. Yeah, and Kentucky loses to a terrible team and just goes to nine. Yeah, like, and no, there was nobody even voted them outside the top 15. It's, that was their widest variance. And you're like, well, I so I swear to God, swear to God, if that was, if Arizona had lost to Evansville, they'd be out of the poll without question. No, there's no question in my mind that we'd be, that Arizona would be in others receiving votes. There's zero question in my mind if that would happen. But they, they barely beat three teams now, or two teams now, and are and lost to one of them and are still in the top 10 and then a team like florida who albeit isn't in the top 25 but is still being voted in there and they could have lost every game so far and they have lost two of them it's just absurd to me of how much that is pushed just because they simply watched the games now or watched the florida game but didn't watch like a utah state game right so there is another point to this, and I think we see this on the West more so than in the East, and I think it's more of a mindset thing than anything else. I think a lot of West Coast basketball reporters go so far to show their their or to try and show that they're not biased that they go like to the anti-bias route that they actually vote their teams lower just so they don't get called out on being, oh, well, you're the West Coast contrarian. East Coast peoples don't give a fuck. East Coast people don't give a fuck. They're going to say, they're clearly, they vote for whoever they want to, right? And they'll and say, whatever. Fuck well, you on. and your opinion. The, 
the two guys that voted this way, one is a Florida guy, the other one's a Midwest guy. So why don't you leave the East Coast out of it? Right? Okay. Well, what? I, so I did some research to back we this are up, point up. Okay. Standing individuals in the East Coast. I did some research to to back this up, and Wait I took a me. I took a guy that I know and read often, and that's Bruce Pasco in Tucson, uh, U of A's beat writer. Over the course of his voting career, he's voted Arizona three spots lower than the average on average for the entire time he's voted in the poll, meaning he takes the team that he covers and votes them lower than the poll. Every time I went over, saw, how, over how many years? Uh, I several, I'm not sure the exact amount, but several like the, not just this year, but over a, a, a you know, a, a number of years, this, this has continued on. I looked at a guy like John Wilner. He's a Washington guy. He has generally voted Washington several spots lower than the norm. And then uh, I can't remember the Oregon guy off the top of my head here, but he's done the same. He's something like two and a half spots lower. So there's this weird, it's almost like the West Coast fans com- complain about East Coast bias when it comes to rankings. And then the, but the West Coast media people like cower to it, if that makes sense. Where they're like, oh yeah, our team's good, but like nobody watched this, so we don't want to have to actually prove it. So let's just vote them to 15 instead of 12, so we don't have to worry about it. We've always had this complaint out here in Arizona, is that you look at Arizona will lose a game to Oregon State, right? And they drop like six spots. A team like Duke will go and lose at a school like, oh, I don't know, Clemson. And they'll fall one spot. And this happens... Every single week of the year. And that's not, that might sound like a, a biased, whatever take. But I, if, if anyone wants to dive into that, I, I'm more than welcome to have the argument with you because we can go back and look at all the polls. And well, so, what I guess what's stopping you're saying that the beat writers underrank their teams. I mean, isn't there something to be said that your boy Bruce in Arizona, I mean, he was kind of right. Like, you guys have never made a Final Four in, in recent time frame here. So, Well, right, but you look back at the years where, let's say, Arizona that was like 22-0 and 0 and was like almost the unanimous number one team in the country and had, had the most appearances yeah. at number one that year. And here's, here's the local guy not well, shelling right. for, his home, for his home team. But then right. what, what I want is I want the local guys to shell for their own teams just like all just like the Duke guy. You know the Duke beat writer is sucking Coach K's dick 24-7. And that's what I want from the beat writer. I don't want it, I don't want them to try and tell us that the team isn't as good because then, like you said, these things actually do matter, despite the fact that they don't really in the in the on-court stuff, they do matter when it comes to tournament time. And so I, I don't, I, it's a weird West Coast contrarian. We don't want to conform or we don't want to like, so we don't want to like make anybody upset. So let's just not even worry about voting them too high because then we're going to have to upset people. Whereas like the East Coast writers are like, they're, they're going to sleep before the West Coast writers are even, would even have an argument with them anyway. But aren't the, I mean, so are you asking for the West Coast writers to lie about how good their teams are and vote for them higher than they should be? No, I'm asking them to not I'm not asking them to not be like anti-biased. They are they they every year they go out of their way to make it look like they aren't biased. Whereas oh. in like look at Jeff Goodman. Jeff Goodman is an Arizona alum. Jeff don't, Goodman don't. Jeff Don't Goodman is the worst guy in the world, especially when it comes to Arizona stuff. Guy literally just shits on the entire program 24-7 at any time. Picks against them every single time. And I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, You don't have to go so far out of your way to prove that you're not biased. Like, Just call a spade a spade. If the team is good, it's good. If the team is not, it's not. And so West Coast schools and beat writers especially – go way out of their way to prove that they aren't biased. And in reality, it makes them it's like anti-bias or however you want to phrase that. Don't bring up Goodman on me here. I made a vow at the beginning of the season. I wasn't going to attack Hack Goodman anymore this year. He's the I worst. I told that to people. I've been going at Goodman since 08 in Conti Forum. He's been my <laughs> nemesis. All right. I, I, don't push me on Goodman here. All right. I want to. I want to say what you're saying. <laughs> But I made a promise I'm not going to go at half. Okay, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring up. I didn't know there was a. I should have respected the safe word before. Uh, we're, we're in the like, you know, we're in a what I like to call a, 
know, like a ceasefire, you know, like, okay, we, we, we are Israel and Palestine. We're, you know, <laughs> we're in the Gaza Strip. Like we're taking a few plays off here, and that that this year is right. It happens to be the season. I'm giving them a year. So to kind of wrap this up, or not wrap this up, because I don't want to make it seem like an argument that I'm trying to push on people. But we are major college basketball fans, right? You, me, Subi, whatever. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously a major college basketball fan. So you should know that if you look at some of these writers, there should be a question as to why some of these writers or media people are even on this list in the first place. Like Dick Vitale is the perfect example. Dick Vitale is having like Metamucil at 8 p.m. and Eastern and going to sleep. He's not watching a single game outside of the one he's calling. And so I actually think that a major way to make this poll better would be that you're not allowed to be a commentator or an announcer on, on a game. Because if you're commentating on a game, that means you're not paying attention to any of the other games in like the 7 p.m. Eastern time slot, which means that there's 30 other major games going on at the same time. So I don't understand why we put so much, why some people, especially the casual fan, put so much credence into like Dick Vitale's opinion when he's not watching anything at all. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I like that rule, but it's a, kind of the same thing in every sport. You know, you got the talking heads on TV, on ESPN all the time, being pretending like they watch some of that um, Redskins Jets game on Sunday <laughs> to, to like know all these things. Instead well, okay. Players. Well, that's I don't know if that's a great example because they're like the two worst teams in the league. Well, two of the five worst teams in the league. So I think there's a good reason to not have watched that game, but. You know, there's a probably pretty good reason why you should be watching like Oregon's game, right? And my my thing that I hate is the argument is is always like, oh well, you know, it was late or we had to get up early or we had uh, some other functions to go to or whatever. And as a person, fine, that's completely understandable, right? But if your sole job is to be the expert on a sport that happens between 7 and 11 p.m. every single night from October to early April. I don't want to hear about your excuses about why you couldn't watch and pay attention to the games. Like, then maybe we get someone else to do this. I I, I, completely agree. These guys need to be held more accountable. And I think the whole point of the website that you pointed out is to hold them accountable. But, like, what's the remedy for... Stephen Means just literally just throwing crap up against the wall. I there's yeah, got, there's got to be something. I yeah, because you're never you're not going to lose your credentials because you're a bad AP voter. I mean, I guess maybe the AP because it's not the same voters every year; it rotates. So perhaps the powers that be in the AP will, I don't know, have some kind of system to kick out all the outliers. Like a guy like John Rothstein is sh- should be an AP voter. Right. We should just uh, yeah, Rothstein should just do the rankings. Right. And That's I, good. I no, really like his rankings good. generally yeah. because but you know that he's in the lab every night, like grinding over his picks. Yeah. You know, he's oh like, oh God, you know, fifteen or sixteen. He's going through all the metrics, he's rushing the replays. He's probably putting too much time and effort into it, honestly. And then yeah, you got a guy like Steven Means who who's literally putting the teams that lose ahead of the teams that win. And that's just absurd. So I, do you want to wrap that up in any way? I know we, I kind of rambled there for a while, but. No, I don't. I think if there's one takeaway from this topic, it's to keep an eye on these guys, you know, <laughs> you know, keep an eye on them, get to know some of these guys. <laughs> like I, I've been lost in looking up all these people. I'm going to keep an eye on your boy, Bruce Pasco and see how he ranks these West coast teams. What has he got Arizona? You know, uh, I don't 20. even know. He's got him at yeah, 20. Right, so he's, exactly. He's playing hard to get, your boy Bruce. I like it. And I would, and you know, I'd love to hear a reason as to why he thinks Arizona, for example, isn't. Where does he have Oregon? Do you have it pulled up right now? I do. Uh, Brucey's got Oregon 12. Okay. So I'd love to hear a reason as to why he thinks both of those schools are lower than what they've been ranked at. 
you know, I mean, because I, I bet you that there isn't. And even though you, this guy is supposedly watching the team, he, I, I don't know how you look at a team like, say, Arizona right now or Oregon and go, oh, man, well, you know, we really shouldn't have moved them up very much because they've smoked everybody. And I, I bet Kentucky is still ahead of both of those. And they have a loss to Evansville. And that just doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Kentucky is. Where, where does he have Kentucky? Nine. Yeah, right. Uh, right. There's, no, there's no reason for that at all. But, okay, but we could probably go on about this for days. So do you have anything else that you that's really pressing on your mind before we get to some hugs here? No. I, the only other things I wanted to bring up, I guess, were there's another, like, little mini tournament going on in Madison Square Garden uh, yes. this week. Like, I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> how, many, how many little tournaments are you going to have here? This one's called the 2K Empire Classic. Uh, if you're looking for games to watch this week, I guess the best one you're looking at is Texas versus Georgetown in uh, Madison Square Garden. I, I, I kind of like this Georgetown team. I, I love kinda, their point guard, Akinjo. It's my guy. I'm, I'm, I'm eyeing Georgetown in that matchup. I, wa- um, I want to say that you're not allowed to, to claim James Akinjo as your guy because no, I no, claimed no, He's him. not my guy. Yeah, you, okay. you can have him. Because I claimed him in the, in the preseason here. So oh, yeah, you, you yeah, can have yeah. Oregon, but I'm going to keep Akinjo. If no, no, right? I'm, I'm a cum- my list, my boys so far this year, like my list of boys right now, I'm at Peyton Pritchard, number one. Number two is going to be Skylar Mays on LSU. Okay. Love okay. that guy. So to steal a Rothstein here, so much Malcolm Brogdon and Skylar Mays. <laughs> and then the my other one would be uh, uh, Miles Powell. Okay, but I'm still working on rounding out my roster. Those are my big three to start out the year. I'm going to be uh, on Kira Lewis Jr. pretty hard as my boy as this season goes along as well. So before we get into some hugs, we have a quick message from the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right, Shark. So let's round this trip up to Minnesota with a nice warm hug. Who do you got? Yeah, so my hug, I... If you're like me, you've probably been like popping in, checking the scores of random games throughout the year so far, uh, wondering, okay, uh, this isn't a great game on this Monday. This isn't a great game on that Tuesday. But Mike is going to go to this team, Nichols. Nichols. Now, Nichols is a school that is playing a schedule tougher than um, – can't think of a good thing that's tough right tougher than a shovel that's one i like saying a lot (laughs) they're based out of Thibodeau, louisiana all right Thibodeau, louisiana great louisiana name and nichols is playing a tough schedule but the reason i want to point out nichols is their head coach their head coach is not even actually he's turning 30 years old today wow so He's younger than us. He's younger than you and I also. He is. His Scorpio is, as well. Not that I give a fuck about that, but. You know, we had, you know, my birthday was my 30th. It was the other day when you, we talked about action and all that. You got this guy, Austin Clouch. I mean, first of all, terrible name. The last <laughs> name is rough, Clouch. But he is a head basketball coach in college, you know, for a college basketball team at 29. Actually, what's today's date? Where am I right now? Uh, today is the 19th or the, 19th? The, yeah, or yeah, well, yeah, the 20th when this is published, but yeah, he, ju- he just turned 30th on the 17th. So right. cl- clown cheer, his first game, he goes <laughs> into, he goes into pit beats pit. Now, mind you, Pete, uh, pit beat, um, who the hell pit beat earlier this year? Purdue. Didn't they beat they Purdue? Beat. No, no. Florida state. Ah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 69 to 67. Yeah. Clouch didn't give a fuck. Clouch went in there and beat the crap out of him. And then Clouch was like, all right, you know, we're gonna we're gonna play Purdue, no big deal. Then we're gonna play a school called Paul Quinn. All right. Paul Quinn, it's literally like picture a guy whose last name is Quinn, and then that guy's first name is Paul. Like it's literally a guy's name. That's the name of the school, Paul Quinn. Um, I had no clue where they're based out of. And then, so, you know, Clouch got his first win there. And then he went to LSU and played LSU tough. Yeah, they did. They did. And then he did it again today. He went up and played URI and my boy Scar's boy, 
Fats Russell, but boy, we're like doing an inception of boys right there. But Fats Russell, <laughs> URI, kind of a sleeper team. Look out for them going on uh, throughout this year. He actually had a real good game tonight. He had 22, six and five steals. But Austin Clouch, watch out for this guy. Okay. I, I got my eye on Nichols. And the thing with Nichols was they actually beat Boston College a few years ago. Um, so they're a dangerous school out of Thibodeau. Hug, hug for Nichols. I can't wait to come back and reference this in the archives in three years when, like, Clouch gets the UNC job or something like yeah. that. And you can really – that's might. yeah. you really should tweet this, actually, just to make he sure that, no, that you're I, on the board. No, I, I save my tweets for very precise moments like my Seton Hall, my Oregon one. But Clouch, four-year starter at Elon, uh, got my eye on him. I feel like this could be an all risk or all reward, no risk tweet though, because nobody's going to come call you out on well, Clouch not getting a big job. I don't want to do it right now. I want them to lose a few more games if they can. Okay. Um, Clouch is actually kind of dialing down the gauntlet of the schedule. His next big game is against West Virginia on December fourteenth, mm. and that will be appointment television for me. <laughs> big hug, big warm hug from Minnesota. Well, my hug is going to be for another cold place, and I'm going to go to Montana basketball as a whole, but specifically to Harold Frey, who had a half-court buzzer beater to beat UNC Greensboro the other day. After UNC Greensboro scored a layup with like three seconds left, my man Harold, spelled H-A-R-A-L-D, Harald Frey, hit a half-court buzzer beater to put Montana State over UNC Greensboro. UNC Greensboro... Played a couple squads this year. Actually a decent team. But then another hug I'm going to give to, and this is going to be more of a sad hug, is to the University of Montana, who lost to NAIA Montana Tech the other night. So you have a Montana Tech or a Montana State team who was picked seventh in their conference, just going above and beyond, hitting half court buzzer beaters. And then you have a University of Montana team who was picked first in the conference, losing to an NAIA school, which pretty much I'm, – I'm guessing you and I probably could have started on that team in our prime at an NAIA level. I'm, I'm just yeah. guessing. So I feel like the, the only states where you can lose to a tech is Georgia, Virginia, and Texas. Outside of that, you can't lose to <laughs> techs. Yeah, right. Those are like the only schools that have techs in the first place. Well, really. well, I, th- I think the other states have a tech, and they're, you know, they, they play like a tech. Like ITT Tech? Yeah. I don't think they have a squad. Is that still around? Are those infomercials still, infomercials still on? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I can't believe I did this to Nichols. Their first game, they played in Illinois. They, they took Illinois to overtime. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Clouch, I can't believe you just left your boy Clouch. Clouch is, Clouch is an animal. He's an animal. <laughs> he'll, he'll play anyone, anywhere. He probably, he probably outcoached Underwood in that game. Subi's boy, Brad Underwood. So... Well, let's wrap it up with this. We really hope that Subi is finding himself or at least not dead in the bottom of the Grand Canyon right now. That'll do it right this week on uh, Theater and College Hoops. We'll see if Subi makes it back, and we'll see you next time.